without being able to kind of talk about it publicly at the time, that kind of nearly, I think, ended my career or our band's career, perhaps, when we were writing our second album and I kind of was not in a very good place. Unfortunately, now is a more crucial time than ever to highlight the important discussion of mental health. Uh, this month, um, May 15, Chris Cornell took his own life. Sadly, he brought to the forefront the fact that no one is immune to mental illness. So, the aim of this podcast is to open up the conversation around mental health. It's a discussion only, and certainly not a how-to for those looking for a guide on how to deal with mental health issues. With that said, I'm here with Mark Callahan, who's a member of the now defunct and legendary band, The Reptides. He's also a member of pop rock band Ganga Jang, the advisor of member services at APRA ANCOS and a board member at Music Industry Charity Support Act. And also joining me is Hayley Mary, frontwoman of ARIA and APRA award-winning band, The Jezebels. Thanks for joining me, Mark and Hayley. Thanks for having Lovely us. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much. If I may, I wanted to start by reading you a few disturbing statistics about artists in the Australian music industry. So I'll just read it here. According to research by Entertainment Assist, only 5% of the local creative industry workforce is employed at any one time. Musicians are five times more likely to suffer from depression than the general population. They're 10 times more likely to show signs of anxiety. Rates of suicide ideation among people in the industry are six times the national average. And the rate of attempted suicide in the industry is more than double the rest of the population. I should note here, so Entertainment Assist, um, the body that put this together, they are working on another study, the results of which they're going to release next year. Um, but Hayley, what's your reaction to those statistics? Are you surprised? Without sounding cold, no. I'm not really. I, th I, I think without playing into the, the dangerous myth that you need to be mentally unwell to be creative, which I think is a dangerous myth, but definitely does seem to draw the creative arts have always drawn people that have I guess different whether maybe now it's like a manifestation of that difference is mental illness but it might have been something else in the past but no it doesn't surprise me at all yeah I mean you've been working in the industry for some time I think as it close to 10 years or over 10 years now mm. that you've been in bands I think um, have you seen artists who have derailed their careers due to issues with mental health Definitely, almost, and yes, that we've all seen artists that have that have. It tends to, I guess, it's a combination of um, whether you're predisposed to some kind of mental illness or you end up with one because it's induced by certain circumstances that are very common in the music industry, like substance abuse, lack of sleep. Yeah. Lack of, we we spoke about this the other night on. Yeah, this, on the Upper Amcos uh, panel. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, those things and financial instability and various things that are kind of entrenched in the industry, I suppose. Yeah. What, what about yourself? Has mental health, um, good or not, ever impacted your career or um, your creativity? Yes. <laughs> um, I guess, we'll just use the word mental illness. I, I, have, I have difficulty with that term. I think everyone does, but for want of a better term. Um, Mental crises, perhaps, have, have affected my career personally. Um, I suppose I, I've never been diagnosed because I'm the kind of person who fears those kinds of things. Um, but I guess depression is probably the thing that I've had experience with. And um, yes, that nearly 
that nearly, um, without being able to kind of talk about it publicly at the time, that kind of nearly, I think, ended my career or our band's career perhaps when we were writing our second album and I kind of was not in a very good place and said some things that upset some journalists. And because I think a lot to do with social media as well, that, that kind of can exacerbate the direct contact that you have with either fans or critics or anyone who wants to say anything to you and there's no kind of filter. So if you're mentally unwell, you can be um, either overstimulated by um, social media or too vulnerable to what people might want to tell you, negative things, that kind of thing. So that, yeah, I actually deleted all my social media for a few years and helped. that helped a lot. But yeah. I, I, it's not good for your career, though. You've got to <laughs> Totally. I did actually want to touch on social media because it is kind of like this necessary evil. And I think... Um, That's the phrase everyone uses. Yeah, yeah it is, it's weird because whether you like it or not, you are validated constantly or criticised with what you post you, through likes and dislikes, comments. You know, there's this this birth of these these trolls who are attacking artists. You did say you deleted your social media. That was for three years, right? Around about, yeah. Okay. So why did you delete it? Um, because I had people directly contacting me and telling me I was evil and things like that. Yeah. Um, when I felt very low in the first place. Um, so... It was These were like, direct messages? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just direct messages. It was happening in the general press as well. I upset a number of people by some things that I said. But they, they, that was to do with the situation the band was going through, which was not publicly known at the time. So, I mean, I understand that I looked like a crazy person saying these things, but, um, yeah, it's because, I suppose, people get their opinion directly to you with social media that meant that it was harder to just kind of yeah. ignore. Yeah. You know that any publicity is good publicity. It's like, yes, but when people are directly insulting you and that kind of thing, it's harder to see that. And that situation that you're talking about, was that your band member going through um, battling uh, yeah, cancer? Yeah, our keyboardist was diagnosed with um, ovarian cancer, but I also was before that suffering from depression, but it just got worse, I think. So I just answered a question flippantly and, it, and made a joke and it offended a lot of people but that's all right that happens to everyone but I think yeah kind of going away from like the Twitter fights and the arguments and addressing it was really helpful for me and just like leaving it and going back to my friends who were real and there yeah and, and traveling and you know being mindful of my actual real life was probably the best thing that helped yeah that. Mark, you managed to skip the entry of social media with mm. the Riptides mm. very, very luckily. But, you know, it is a business tool for bands as well. Mm. What do you think about this culture of trolls where um, some kids are intentionally baiting artists? I know Adele deleted, or not deleted, sorry, she started a new Twitter account so that she could really talk mm. about what she thinks because she didn't feel comfortable doing that mm. on her main artist mm. Twitter account. Yeah, look, you're right. And it's... Um it, it is a strange and I think it's a very challenging environment for artists these days, which you're right, we did manage to skip. We, you, know, we, you had the usual music press, of course, but not this 24-7 um, need to respond. Um, the, the race to opinion is it's an awful thing in many ways. And, you, and I think that the removal of that, that sort of 
the fact that you're face to face with a person and, and therefore you know, give your opinion without thinking it through, it's just too easy. And so people say you know, the most outrageous things without any filter at all. And you know, I'm genuinely shocked by it half the time, the, how, the sorts of things that people feel that it's okay to say. Um, and uh, it is, it's, uh, it puts a lot of pressure on artists particularly who, you know, there's that thing about because you're potentially successful in one area, you should be some sort of expert on others or you should be, you know, uh, okay to be uh, attacked about a, a variety of issues which may or may not have anything to do with what you're doing as an artist, uh, the way you look or something that you said about some political issue or whatever it happens to be but it is an incredible pressure that, that younger artists feel these days I mean I you know I, I like to watch is how I, I don't I don't post a lot of things on on social media so um, that's kind of how I've um, dealt with it I mean you know it's been what is it 10 years that it's been going yeah. um, so or longer and um, but I, I don't uh, I do find that it's, um, I don't engage with it terribly much, but I am surprised when I see things on uh, Twitter feeds or on um, Facebook and I think, oh, how on earth can you say that to someone? You know, they you always want to you send it to their boss. I know, you, you wouldn't say it to them to their face, so yeah. why would you? And, and it just seems to be, everything's always at 11, you know, the volume's always at 11 before any kind of discussion. It seems to me that people are too keen to give an opinion before they first actually understand what's genuinely what's being said by another person. How are you back on social media now? How are you handling it? Do you have a certain system in place to make sure that you're looking after your mental health? Um, well, yeah, I guess it's just in terms of social media. I, I just don't think you can ever touch me again. I just don't care now. Yes. Like, you, yeah. there's a certain point where, like, you hit a crisis and you get as low as you possibly can and you just come back and mm. it just... But that said, I mean, perhaps if bad things happen in my life and other things, maybe... Mm. maybe. But I just kind of leave it sometimes and just don't attend to it and then come back. But the problem is, is that I think you kind of got to see it as... It is part of your job. It's like publicity. It's like an interview. You have to kind of do them. Mm. And maybe scheduling time to do it rather than constantly doing it mm. like you're saying is 24 24 7 is like that's what's a bit unhealthy mm -hmm. it's like yeah you don't do interviews 24 7 you don't you're not on the phone to journalists late at night you kind of you should probably but you, you can schedule it like you the time that you give it i think and that can help yeah, and you it. kind of have to remind yourself that fans have never had this access to you before, and mm. it's not your duty to give them that they, access. Or they will continue. They will take all that you give. Like it's not going to stop. Mm. The more you give, the more they'll want. It, it's uh, yeah, so yeah. it's not like, yeah, you have to answer everything always. Yeah, I think at the same time there there seems to be this. Uh, I think there's this. Com you know, you're compelled in some at some points to to answer some of these crazy things that people say because if you don't then it's deemed that you somehow accept that yeah so that, that accusation oh, yeah. or Too that good. that statement you know and if you don't respond then you know there was something on a, a really old riptides video i saw a while back you know it was posted ages ago and i have to look at this video that you know from years and years ago and there was this comment and i was just 
outraged. It was like, what, what is it? that about? It was something about, um, someone said, why weren't these guys way more successful, this band, you know, the Riptides from back in the day? And someone had put this comment, because these guys are up on serious criminal charges. And you're like, what? Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> you know? defamation. I, I was like, what is that? So, you know, what do you do? I mean, of course, you know, that was, was months or years ago that the comment was made. So, you know, I don't go there that much, so I don't know, whatever. But it, so you go, what on earth is that about? So, yeah, it's, yeah, anyway. It's a wild west. It People is. People can say what they want. And yeah. it's like, I, my mum's been very upset by some things that yes. have been put on the internet that, like, weird yeah. lies about things that I've said to do with her and I and it yeah. really intense things that I've just never said yeah. and people saying it's like you just kind of got to know that it's not really true it's sort of where people put their poison sometimes I didn't even think of that like you can be very far removed from what people say but you can't protect your family yeah, you though, can't make your yeah, family was, be removed it can be troubling for, I think for family yep. members yeah. particularly yeah. but yeah I mean it's it's a, I wanted to chat about how challenging the music industry is. You know, I think it, it kind of creates job insecurity in a way. I've got a couple of other stats I wanted to read you. Mm. Um, three quarters of musicians earn less than 20000 a year. Almost half of those working in entertainment are shift workers. And artists' life expectancy is shorter than the general population at around 57. It, uh, to me, this is like this perfect playground for mental illness. You've, you've, the average musician earns little money, probably... Um, is exposed to drugs, uh, probably does little exercise. It's something that you touched on in the APRA AMCOS panel the other night. Um, Mark, I want to know, do you think that the industry is to blame, partly to blame, for issues in mental health? Gosh, I mean, the short answer would have to be yes, but but no, but, you know, it, it's like it, it's, it's the paradigm that exists with a lot of people trying to succeed at something and there's a competitive environment the way that the business structures have evolved has never been particularly kind to artists i think again right now we see so many artists trying to uh, um, begin their careers and, and it is incredibly challenging now again you know i can only compare to to when myself and my generation started out and you know, for example, we the, the dole existed um, with much less stringent rules around it than currently exists. So you were able to sort of survive a bit. That's the first point. The second point is, I mean, just in terms of young people, irrespective of whether they're in music or not, just trying to survive and pay rent in these crazy major city prices is insane. How people have to. Um, uh, the rents that they, the kind of rents that they have to pay, and therefore the stress that's on them to find income just to have a roof over their heads, and also finally the fact that the live scene for uh, emerging artists was so much more healthy back in the 80s, for example, where you know we used to be able to play at venues around Sydney and as an unsigned artists, uh, as an unsigned band, you know have a enough of a crowd that you know you would actually walk out of the venue with some money you know where now it's kind of like if you're an emerging band yeah they'll let you play and if you don't bring enough friends to drink enough at the bar 
they won't have you back. So not only do you pay for free, but you need to bring your friends. So that, 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 that's right, the, 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 the industry and the way that the, the whole system works, I think puts incredible pressure on artists. And in a bizarre kind of way, it's almost the ultimate form of capitalism, isn't it? In the sense that, you know, it's an instant feedback. No one comes, you don't get paid. You know, it's mm. like there's no safety net or there's no, you don't, no one comes, you don't get another gig. So there is this intense pressure to find, to survive while you, while you create, you know, whatever it is you do in the creative uh, arts, whether it be music or, you know, animation or film or writing or whatever. And um, just to go to your question of the industry, I think, yeah, I mean, that those, those pressures have always been there. Those sharks, those rip-off merchants have always been there. Um, and maybe there's more of them now than there has been in the recent past, you know, when you think back to the early stages of the, the very beginnings of the music industry, the 50s and 60s, artists were routinely ripped off. And I think that there's some argument to say that just because there are so many artists trying to get a, a start these days, that we might be in a similar sort of environment. So yeah, I think there's a lot of challenges out there. Mm. It's interesting looking at your career. I mean, you've been in the music business, working in the music business for over 20 years. Like it could be said that you're one of the most business savvy musicians there are out there. I mean, your past roles include, I'm reading this now, the managing director of um, the publisher Music Sales, mm -hmm. general manager of Ampal, which is the Music Publishers Association, general manager of Shock Music Publishing and A&R manager at Festival Records. So. Do you think that you're naturally that way? Or were you forced to be business savvy because the industry doesn't support artists who are constantly creating or constantly touring as much as they do uh, the ones that don't? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've always, in terms of the music business, I've always described myself as a sheep in wolf's clothing. Um, I've always been a musician and a writer, that's how I, see and always will define myself as a songwriter. I got a job in the music business because I needed a job because of the reasons that we talked about. I had a family to support and I couldn't earn enough out of playing music. And the reason I got a job in the music business was because someone asked me. You know, my music publisher at the time rang up and said that uh, someone was leaving, just letting you know someone's leaving, and I just said, oh, maybe I'll apply for their job then. And they said, well, would you? And I said, well, should I? And anyway, so I, I got a job there and went on to do a few different things. But I, I say to people, if if that friend that had rung me had been in, you know, real estate or hardware, you know, I might have had that might have been my day job, you know. So, um, but 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 I think that um, a lot of people, uh, you know, I come across a lot of artists now. I think artists, there is more education amongst uh, artists about how the business works. Um, than there was potentially in the past. And, and it really comes down to the kind of personality you have. I've certainly always been a very left brain, right brain person. So that's been, I've been able to do that, but it has been difficult at times. And it's presented its own challenges in, in terms of you know, which hat you have to be wearing at which particular time. Um, but you know, all my friends that I've played with for years, they, they're not like that, or some of them are. You know, so it's varied. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, but just to come back to what I said before, I mean, ultimately, I still think that I'm a singer-songwriter, you know, as a day job. Deep down. Deep, deep down. down.
The Industry Observer podcast is presented by APRA AMCOS. The Performing and Mechanical Rights Organisation is a proud supporter of music industry charity Support Act. Support Act provides confidential financial assistance, advice and practical assistance to music professionals of all kinds, everyone from songwriters to roadies. If you need assistance or advice or wish to donate, visit supportact.org.au. Hayley, I have this theory that being a musician is kind of a dichotomous place to be. So on one hand, you want to create art that impacts culture. And then on the other hand, you want to achieve mainstream success so that you can have the widest reach possible and earn a living. Um, am I correct in my thinking or am I missing the mark? Uh, um, in my opinion, yeah. I think what you were saying, Mark, before about it being a lot to do with capitalism, like that that's the difficulty with this whole conversation is that like... Mm. You can talk about the music industry, but that's just the the hand mm. of the system that mm. we deal with. It's it's yeah. the whole yeah. the whole situation puts you in a dichotomy yeah. because it's the you have to deal with money and you have mm. to deal with sales and you're ultimately a resource. Yeah. Um, that these days more than ever, you you may have this kind of social capital or cultural capital, and that's really prevalent in the social media age and mm. often I think why mental illness might go unchecked by industry or band members around or whatever is pushing artists that are fun to watch because they're a bit wild and they do push boundaries and that's that's what sadly that's what is sellable mm. a lot of the time about a musician people love to watch not only like yes, yeah, someone be creative and try and push boundaries and crash and burn when they come up against an inherently entr- like an entrenched system of capitalism that is exploitative. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a dichotomy, but I also feel like that comes from like an old kind of competitive notion like that you were talking about. And I'd, I want to bring the social media up again is that maybe we're moving into a potentially more cl- collaborative age mm. and that social media can be a very good tool for that and I feel like even just in the 10 years that I've been playing around indie music for example which is the genre I guess we're in used to be a lot more competitive there was like this kind of notion that you'll have your ba- this band over here and that's that band and you're competing mm. for the record deals or the attention or the hype or whatever but these days it feels like it's there's a scene that's very like encouraging and that's a lot to do with social media so you can kind of support each other and and um, I think that that could be a good thing and maybe break down the kind of the loneliness of that dichotomy I suppose a bit I'm not saying I don't know may, maybe it can push what we're talking about is like an age of entrepreneurs and like when you're speaking about being business savvy that's what musicians sort of have to be now as entrepreneurs in this late capitalism sort of thing and um Every now, I just sort of oscillate between being like a Marxist about it and being like the whole system's got to go, mm. <laughs> or can it get, can it reach, like, can capitalism reach this wisdom stage where it's all working really well, like a beautiful organism, and people are actually, you know, freely communicating and collaborating and creating things for the right reasons and not just for profit. Um, wow, I totally went beyond your no, question, I love it. but yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, it is a dichotomy because you're, yeah, you're up against like 
very powerful monster called the world. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and fans who are monsters themselves. Oh, the consumer citizen, I suppose. Yeah. And yeah, that was like invented by PR. And yeah. yeah. I, look, I think you know. you're 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 dead right, Haley, and 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 I think it comes back to the issue when you talk about about mental health and um, the fact that especially younger people today, you know, they look at the world and they they you know it's like you know what the you know, what's the future? I mean, young people are smart. You know, they're well educated, and we teach people to to uh, read and understand. And 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 you have social media, which has a huge reach in terms of finding out what's going on in the world. And so you're in an atmosphere where, or um, a climate, I should say, where young people are, are seeing what there is for them out there, and let alone whether they're in the music industry or not, um, in terms of mental health. I think there's this, there can can be this perception of well, it all it's all pretty screwed, you know. The world that can produce the kind of you know political leaders that seem to get to the top, um, you know, I think it could leave anyone a little flat, if we put it that way, or depressed if you want to put it even in greater context. And and there might be an argument to say that that people that enter the creative arts, you know, have maybe a higher degree of empathy or something who t maybe tend to feel those sort of pressures a bit more. So I think potentially, yeah, there's, you know, you look at this world that you talk about, uh, whether it be the music industry or the world more generally, and, you know, it's, it's, it can be hard to find things to aspire to, things to love and, and to, you know, beyond your own immediate art. And, and, and uh, so, yeah, I think those challenges do exist. Mm. I wanted to chat about the research around how creatives are more susceptible to having issues with mental health. I know, um, but there's also the suggestion that being creative is really good for mental health. I read the study which showed that um, students who wrote down their feelings before doing an exam achieved higher grades than students who didn't. So Hayley, do you find writing cathartic? Is that like a, a tool that you use to process your feelings, use to process things? I guess so, yeah. I mean, it's I, it's a compulsion that I just have to do, regardless of whether it's um, successful or not. Mm -hmm. So yes, I suppose. Mm. Um, what about you, Mark? Do you mm. do you find it as a as a tool? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I play and I write every single day, and and for me, it is um, it's the the still moment. You know, for me, it's become that that almost meditative thing where you do process thoughts and ideas and, and and in my own for my own self it's the thing that's kind of kept me a bit grounded and sane and maybe it's that's what's made maybe be able to survive in the music business for 20 years is that I can go home and pick up the guitar and play and write and, and you know and as you say Haley it's not something you you choose to do or you do for that some end point of sales or glory it's, it's just you just have to do it it's a compulsion that you just have to satisfy it's just part of who you are what about the idea that um artists need to go through struggles or heartbreak or to come broken to uh, create good art is that bullshit absolutely bullshit i think but then yeah, that's my opinion. yeah no you could go yeah no i think it's bullshit i mean i think it's it's, it's a classic stereotype that's emerged um, that somehow people need their artists in garrets, you know, starving, and that's the way it needs to be. And yet, 
you know, there's no empirical evidence for that, if we want to put it that way. And also from my own personal experience and those of my friends, uh, you know, when you haven't literally got two cents to rub together, you know, you won't be actually sitting in your room creating great music. You'll be stressing out and, and, and freaking out about where you're going to get your next meal. I think that it's a little bit, again, to do with... <laughs> I don't always talk about capitalism, by the way. But <laughs> I do think it's a little bit, to, again, to do with that in that, like, I think it's, it comes from the Buddhist idea that suffering makes you better and stronger, and it, it does. But within art and, it, it's, and its relationship with commerce, it's always considered that, like, you can only suffer if you're poor. But, like, wealthy people have made great art yeah. and they also suffer because money doesn't really make you happy. So Absolutely. on one level, I do think that suffering do can make you better in your art. It's just like life and experience. Yeah. Also, love can make you better in your yeah. art. It's not, it's, it's not just suffering. Joy yeah. can but make you better. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Li life makes you better mm. in your art. But um, yeah, I don't think that it has to be just poverty. Mm. Like that's not the only kind of suffering. Mm. And yeah, a lot of my favourite art is very wealthy, very privileged people, but they're definitely sad and lonely and struggle, so. Yeah, money yeah. doesn't make you happy. Yeah. Um, I wanted to know, what do you both reflect on more when you're writing songs, your suffering or your joyful moments? For me, it's, uh, I like to follow ideas. It sounds suitably vague. No, I know exactly <laughs> but, uh, what you mean. You know, um, that, that might be oh, anywhere um, that, that can begin with a uh, you know um, a phrase that that um, might have a, a number of meanings and 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 you know how that what how that plays out and what you can do with that um, and to to examine sort of concepts of various emotions um, you know, sometimes I know what a song is about right from the get-go, and it's a challenge of, you know, as Don Walker once said to me, you know, getting an idea that's, you know, a very complex idea, and the reality is you've got, you know, six syllables to fit it into at the <laughs> end, the last line of the song to get the punchline in. But uh, other times it's a journey of exploration in and of itself. I'm not quite sure what it's about. and. Um, so yeah, and sometimes it's a bit sort of, you know, quite simplistic, uh, as you say, a bit of um, uh, a, a fun concept or an idea that's really quite n not particularly deep. And other times it's uh, quite an exploration. So yeah, different all the time. Mm. I don't know how it works for you? To me, it's like you're, you're you get the idea, and that comes from the muses or whatever, the mm. noosphere or some abstract place. The noosphere. Not necessarily yeah. yours. Yeah. But um. But then your sadnesses or your happiness or your experiences, like, is the paint you use to paint the idea, mm -hmm. so to speak? So, like, yeah, I'm exactly the same. I follow, I follow the idea, but whatever language I have comes from my ups and downs, and there's no particular emotion that's more valid. It, it, it depends on what the story needs to yeah. say. So yeah, okay. If it's about heartbreak, I'm probably going to focus on Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think that I think the one of the things I really want to touch on as well is the the stigma and whether it's whether you think it's lifting or not. Um, so Justin Bieber, as an example, he cancelled a meet and greet last 
March because he cited, um, he said they were mentally and emotionally exhausting. And then, yeah, yeah. and then Modern Baseball cancelled their tour in February to focus on their mental health um, on home soil. An example there is Five Seconds of Summer's uh, Michael Clifford. He openly discussed the fact that he's seeing a therapist. Do you think that these kinds of actions um, and then also just the way that the music industry is moving is helping to lift the stigma? Hmm. Yeah, I think stigma's on everything that we're all attempting to lift. That's like, that's the aim of today. Mm. Um, and so it's sort of working, but it's just like any tradition, it's quite entrenched, so. Yeah, and also it's a good thing, you know, I mean, in, a, in the broader sense that if, if uh, these artists who have profile are talking about these issues, potentially therefore making it more okay for, you know, fans or people that are not in the music business to to discuss those issues because as we know I mean this is obvious as we've said before these these issues are not whilst they're highlighted in the, in the creative areas in music for example they're you know the rest of the population uh, it's, a, it's a real issue there mm. and so the fact that these things can be talked about by um, people with profile let's put it that way makes it potentially more okay for you know other young people to, to go and get help which is, is a great thing. I think that's, that's a one positive that, that we can maybe draw from, you know, the idea that we might discuss this more as an, as a, an industry, as a group, uh, that, that other people will benefit and, and that stigma will be removed. I do think it's decreasing and I think that's a really great thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about a bit about the, the help that's available. Um, I'll touch on quite a lot of that at the end, but there are Medicare um, rebates that you can get between 84 and $124 for up to 10 sessions with a psychologist. Um, but Mark, if you could just touch on how exactly artists can get help through Support Act if mm. they have men mental issues with their health, that would be awesome. Well, Support Act, you know, exists to help, to assist artists uh, in crisis. And, you know, you can contact Support Act. They are there 24-7. Their focus is not uh, particularly on mental health in terms of uh, what they do as a frontline service. So, um, you know, in, in the first instance, it might be great to talk to someone if you actually want to talk through issues uh, out of hours to maybe, you know, to call a, a Beyond Blue or a Lifeline, etc. But Support Act's uh, role is to to support artists, especially um, in any way possible, but particularly financially when they're going through a period without work for any reason. Um, but it's um, like many like people in the music business, generally, they do what's needed, you know. So, I mean, we, I would always encourage people to, to call Support Act. Um, it's a very open and um, uh, obviously genuine and, and accepting kind of uh, a group of people that you would speak to when you when you call them on the phone the um, the website's great got great resources and also you know you're able to get help you can do it um, via the website and you know not have to give you know we don't ask for a lot of details when people speak to us on the phone so you know you don't need to give a lot away to 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 speak to someone and and um, be directed to some more detailed help or to be helped at that point in time going forward. So I'd, I'd always encourage people to, to ring Support Act. It's a, a great organisation. Awesome. Um, and Hayley, is there any advice that you wish 
you were given before you overcame your own struggles? It's very difficult because people never take advice. Mm. Like I, I, Even if you had it, yeah, you've never taken it? You have to learn sometimes the hard way. <laughs> but, um, okay. I, yeah, I don't know what I would advise. Maybe, like, the past me is just, like, that... You can keep going, I think. That's that's the only advice that ever continues to persist with me is that, yeah, just keep going and sometimes... Oh, basically that I think there's a level of detachment that can be good if you if you yeah. can step outside your own head and see yourself going into a low mm. and just watch it mm. and experience it and it's okay. It is low and it's horrible, but, like, I think, yeah, if you can try and step outside your own head and watch it happen and just like the ups, mm. you know, the lows come and they're necessary sometimes. Mm. Um, maybe they're not always necessary, you know, maybe need treatment or whatever, but they, if mm. you're in one, mm. it's like it's very, very good to remember this too will pass. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, Mark, I know you um, recently had a back injury mm. which left you feeling really low. Was yeah. there anything that you wish that you knew before that well, happened? Well, I did get a lot of support from friends, which is, I think, what everyone can do. You know, if you, if you can reach out to your, your own network for help when you are having a particularly low time. I mean, I, I certainly have had issues in the past going back a long while, and as a result of all those things that we've talked about, um, the struggle, the, the, the worry about how you're going to survive, where the next dollar's coming from, but in particular, this was just the thing that happened to me this year. I hurt my back, and it was something that just took me by surprise in that it went on for so long, and therefore I got very depressed because I, I, I ended up with the feeling that this would never end, and, and for me that any kind of active life was over. And, um, and that was difficult, you know, but I, with the help of friends and um, getting into what needed to be done, I got through it. But uh, in terms of advice, the things that have worked for me, and you know, everyone's different, but what's worked for me in the past is, is to keep busy. And when you're busy, you're sort of in the now uh, and uh, in the present. That, I find that helps. Um, uh, keeping active has helped me, you know, actually going and doing something um, has helped. Socializing as well. Socializing is great. You know, you're out of the house. You have to realise you're not alone. You might feel that you are, but you know, there are whether you want to reach out for professional help, you should do that. You should always be encouraged to do that. Um, And you know, reach out to your friends. You know, you you you'll be surprised. I mean, people, and I have certainly found in this particular industry that people really. Even though we mightn't see them for years at a time, literally, you know, the bond that you form touring with another band or just because of the common experience you've had is, they can be really deep. And these people are there to help you, you know, and will help you. And I've certainly found that reaching out to friends is, has been great. And I think it's worth also saying that in many respects, it's much more difficult to, um, to, uh, well, I'm just going to get this right. To 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 receive, it's much more, it's much easier to receive than to to give than to receive. I should I should say. So, in other words, you, you, as a 
you know, if you're, if you're experiencing an issue, sometimes it's more difficult to go and speak to your friends and get help. Ironically, you would be only too willing to help yeah. your friends, is what I'm trying to say yeah. in a klutzy way. So, you know, <clears throat> you just have to remember that. You have to think, well, of course, I, if a friend came to me and they were, had issues or they were low, I'd be only too happy to help them. And so you, you must remember that when, when the, the shoe is on the other foot, so to speak, that your friends are only too happy to help. You know, you just need to just to make the little leap to reach out. Mm. Are there any frameworks that you think should be introduced to make sure mental health is like a countrywide focus? Well, it's a really interesting thing because the woman who made some comments at the end of the panel the other night had, I was saying exactly the same thing as you are, Mark, and it is true in general, but I think she said something about this study being that there's still, your friends are the only people you can turn to and sometimes they're in trouble as well yes. or sometimes yes. they're, they're not equipped. Um, and so yes. yeah. as, as much as that's the only thing you can do if you're suffering, yeah. sometimes, yeah is that what do they do? And is there some kind of institution or training or something that can be done that um, bridges the gap between you, the, the, the person with a mental illness or a physical illness or whatever, um, the friends or the manager, and then like treatment mm. and how to, mm. how to kind of make sure it doesn't just get lost on like a conversation with like so that a tour manager for example yeah. would know exactly what to do like yes. as part of their profession yeah not yeah, just as a mate yeah. so it's yeah. like there yeah. should be some kind of i think program or discussions going on about training managers mm. tour managers yeah. producers Agreed. even band members absolutely um yeah. just crew crew is like a really big one as well which is obviously support yeah. actor yeah. part of helping out but like yeah. Everyone in the creative industry is dealing. It's like we're we're modern day carnies, and it's very strange. Mm -hmm. And like, um, yeah, I think if everyone, particularly management and tour managers, but like, training, what to do here, because the difficulty is yes, nationwide, yes, but a lot of this is international as well. So mm. I don't know how exactly you would do it internationally, but you could start nationally. Yeah, if there was a body that. I'm not yeah. sure what you would do because sometimes you're ill-equipped to counsel someone mm. who, who's, di right. who's thinking is, about taking their own yeah. life or something. Yeah. And a lot of these things can happen on the road, so the tour manager needs to be well-equipped. Yeah. And a manager is just so much more than just managing a business. Mm. Yeah. It's, yeah, breaking down the kind of the dichotomy, I suppose, mm. of like, this is business, that's personal. It's like, yeah, but yeah. what you sell. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's <laughs> Even so if right. you want to be ruthless about it, you have to actually protect the product. Yeah, exactly. It is, it, it's, it's within your interest yeah. it's to all protect my related. interest. It's all yeah. definitely related. And I think that they... they um, I know that Support Act is uh, keen to do more work in this space and it's something that we have spoken about and that we want to draw some... A lot of people in the field in the in the field together to have a further discussion about just those issues about what sorts of support that we can give to people who are working you know on tour working in the business to enable them to have um, uh, the ability to not necessarily triage things in that sense but know where they can direct people to to have to know initially how to deal with it. They don't need to be experts, of course, but to know 
how to deal with it in the first instance and where there is where where help can be you know sought. So um, yeah, I yeah. think that we can do things, and you know that the, the more government support, of course, would be a good thing. And, uh, and it's not just for music because we just know this is an issue in the community, um, and uh, you know some people say it's it's more prevalent than, than the need for spectacles. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, one in three potentially people during their life are going to experience uh, an episode of, you know, um, a mental illness. So. As a society, it's something that we need to be prepared for and um, we should do something about. I think even venues and festivals, like mm. there was that sort of safe space helpline at Laneway yep. mm. that was like to do with if there was any sexual assault or abuse, mm. which is slightly different, but um, if there the was, idea. say, like a resident psychologist or something mm. on a festival, so you've got international touring bands and going like, by the way, letting the tour manager know if anyone needs to talk to anyone, we can make an appointment. Something really similar, sim sorry, simple, yeah. like that. Or That's yeah, venues idea. saying yeah. like, you've got a rock doctor, for example, yeah. that you can call if you've got yeah. laryngitis and you need steroids to yeah. be able to sing. Yeah. You should also have like rock psychologists that are just available 24 seven because it's not, you can never, I went around America with like a subluxed finger because there was never time to go to a doctor and there was never like the money and there's like and it ended up way more damaging from just not treating it obviously yeah. that's physical and sort of just a symbol of like yeah you, but it's when it's you're those, not in the it wasn't available to yeah, you because it was readily available to yeah, you yeah you don't have a local gp there so there needs to be like global a global kind of idea of like yes whatever institution can facilitate this for people that then yeah that, yeah. that should be that's exactly. Yeah, yeah. we're something. talking about some similar things. Just the idea, for example, that when a band's on tour, you know, if if people are in recovery from for from substance abuse, just for example, you know, that's going to disrupt their whole program. So they have a choice. Whereas if there is a database that you know they okay, we're going to be in Melbourne, then here's where they can go to continue to have their meeting or you know to reach out to the right kind of doctor. Exactly. You know, th to have that information freely available again, it's not a big ask in this day and age and, and hopefully we can play a role, Support Act can play a role in maybe putting that together which could be handy for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Aside from Support Act there are um, a few facilities that are freely available, I'm just going to list them here. Um, Beyond Blue, they yeah. have a huge amount of information for depression, anxiety and um, related disorders. The Mental Health Information Service, which runs support groups for people with anxiety disorders. Lifeline have the crisis support over the phone on 13 11 14. Black Dog Institute to specialise in depression and bipolar disorder. Are you okay? There's lots of free resources on that website that can help you with initiating a conversation. Uh, and the ARA FMI, the Association of Relatives and Friends of the Mentally Ill. Um, we're going to pop more information of these on these available services on our website with links as well. Um, but I think that that is a nice place to end it. Thank you, Haley. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Industry Observer podcast. For more content like this, subscribe on iTunes or head to theindustryobserver.com.au, Australasia's new destination for music industry news, discussion, charts, and more. This podcast is presented by APRA AMCOS. More than 90,000 music creators rely on APRA AMCOS to get paid when their music is used. They license businesses to use music and distribute the royalties to their members. APRA AMCOS, made by music.